0: We're considering tonight the tenet of our faith, which speaks of our saving faith. It's number 10 in our statement of faith. Saving faith is to believe on God's authority of whatever is revealed in His Word concerning Christ, accepting and resting on Him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life. It is wrought in the hearts by the Holy Spirit and is accompanied by all the other saving graces, and leads to a life of holiness. I'll be referring to many portions of scripture tonight, but I just want to read to you from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. For The apostle writes, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ and have been, might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And then, verse 20, that verse that I'm sure many of you can quote I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we consider your marvelous work of salvation, And what constitutes saving faith? It is appalling today what we hear, what people preach, and those who may have a false confidence in something else, Lord, but we realize that our salvation is all of You, wrought by our Savior. And we ask that You would show us the things of Christ and reveal them to us this evening by Your Spirit. We pray in His precious name. Amen. As Adam's sin was that he did not believe God's Word, and it led to his violating that Word, so is faith in God's Word, that the, the prominent component of saving faith, or of our salvation. It is by faith that men come to Christ and are cleared of their guilt and the punishment of their sin. All the Christian life is lived out in faith. It begins in faith, and it... We grow from grace to grace and from faith to faith. We use several words interchangeably with faith. The words belief and trust. We believe the facts of the gospel, but not just in a head knowledge alone, not just intellectually. We must know and believe certain things, but that our condition is and our lostness, and our need of a Savior, and that Christ is the Savior, the provision of God for salvation, and then that faith and believing those facts leads us to rely on Him to save us, to cleanse us, and to justify us. Some refer to this as justifying faith. We need to establish that saving faith is not merely, as I've already alluded to, not merely intellectual facts of the gospel. We must acknowledge them as true. We must assent to them. No one can be saved without believing that Christ is the virgin-born Son of God, the only begotten of God, that He was God in the flesh, that He lived a sinless life, that He died and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Those things must be assented to and believed, but not them alone. It's not enough to believe those things. We we often refer to the fact that the devils believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, they called him, in that verse, the Son of God. And in fact, they know Bible prophecy. They asked him, are you come to, uh, to trouble us or to torment us before the time? Well, what time is that? There's coming a time when, when Satan and all of his demons will be cast forever into the lake of fire. And they, they recognized the Son of God, are you come to torment us before the time? And so those demons that Christ uh, came across that day, believed who He was. They knew who He was. And so it's not enough just to know facts about Christ and believe that He is the Son of God. Many agree with the gospel facts and yet go on in their sin. Saving faith takes the record as presented in God's Word to be just what this that. This is what God says and has declared about Himself and about us and about who Christ is, and, and then go on from that and to rely upon these things and resting upon Him to do what He says He will do. And Thomas Watson, in his Body of Divinity, written in the 1600s, what a, a blessed book it is. I, I would tell you, to, to get that book, we should have it in our church library here, but it's a, a paperback book, and he's a very readable Puritan. Some of the Puritans are harder to wade through than others. Uh, they have weighty matters and uh, they're uh, uh, prone to tell it to us in long uh, sentences, and, uh, but it's a blessed uh, reading to do. But Thomas Watson is one of the Puritans who gets and puts it on the bottom shelf. And he writes, true justifying faith consists in three things. Self-renunciation. Faith is going out of oneself, being taken from our own merits, and seeing we have no righteousness of our own. As he quotes Paul in Philippians 3, verse 9, not having mine own righteousness. You see, that's a major problem because most people think that, that they're all right or that God is okay with them or that they can attain whatever righteousness is needed to impress God. But, but Paul knocks that out, doesn't he? Those, that prop out of the way when he says, not having mine own righteousness. And consider who's saying that. A Pharisee of the Pharisees, a teacher of the law who had attained the highest degree of admiration and uh, attaining among his brethren. And he says, "...I have not any righteousness of mine own. Self-righteousness is a broken reed which the soul dares not lean on." We sang tonight about not leaning or resting on the sinking sand or the wrong foundation, but on Christ, the solid rock. Repentance and faith are humbling graces. By repentance, a man abhors himself. By faith, he goes out of himself." And then he points out that secondly, not only does saving faith have self-renunciation, but there's a reliance, as we've mentioned, a resting, a trusting. The soul casts itself upon Jesus Christ. We are resting our eternal souls in the person work of Jesus Christ. We are relying on Him. We're resting in Him. Faith that rests upon Christ's person. He is the Savior. He has done what He said He will do and He will perform all that He's promised. In First John three verse twenty three, this reliance is described as believing on the name of the Son of God. In other words, on His person, that He is the only begotten Son of God, the only Savior. It, it's a faith that glories in the cross of Christ, as Galatians six fourteen tells us. In Romans three twenty five, it is called the faith in His blood. All this points to Christ's work. When we speak of His person and work, we're speaking of who He was and what He did. And these are very important aspects. And I've, as I often tell you, when cults and isms and schisms come knocking at your door, you can get right down to the heart of the matter by asking them what they believe on the person and work of Jesus Christ, knowing that they will often use some of the same terminology that you use but, but not believe it as you believe in it. But you must pin them down. If you're going to waste any time at all uh, dealing with them, you must pin them down on who was Jesus Christ. Define that. Who was he? Was he a savior? Was he a son of God? Was he a good man or prophet, or was he God? But had, to what extent? They use all kinds of you know gradations of that. Who was Jesus Christ? The Scripture declares him to be the only begotten Son of God, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, and eternally the Son of God, who bore his body. Who took on a body, a literal body, and died in our place for our sins. It is faith in who He was and in what He did. The third, not only is self-renunciation and reliance, but he mentions appropriation or applying Christ to ourselves. A medicine, no matter how powerful it is or how powerful you believe it to be. If it is not applied or used or taken, it will do absolutely no good. And the gospel is that way. You can believe in it mentally or assent to it and know that and agree that Christ is the Savior, He's the only door, He's the only way. But if someone doesn't appropriate that and, and believe on Christ to save them, it will do no good to know the gospel. In fact, it will only be worse for you as you stand before the Lord in the great day. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. We would say amen to that, but it, if not appropriated, it will not uh, be of no avail to anyone who will not apply it. This applying of Christ, that, that way of seeing it in that way, is called receiving Him. We use that term to as many as received Him in John 1, verse 12, as we quoted this morning in verse 11. He came into His own, and His own received Him not. What does that mean? They did not take Him as the Son of God, as the promised, prophesied Messiah, and they disregarded Him. But to many as, as many as did receive Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. And so we see those words used interchangeably, trusting, receiving, believing, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Again, referring back to that supernatural birth, as our Lord told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Not born of human blood. Your parentage, as we saw this morning, does not make you regenerate. Being around spiritual things and hearing spiritual conversations. No, there must be a birth, a spiritual birth. Saving faith is brought by the Holy Spirit. It does not happen in a vacuum. It does not happen without the aid of the Holy Spirit, who is called the Spirit of grace, because He is the source of all grace. Faith is the chief work which the Holy Spirit performs in a person's heart. Ephesians 1.19 says that the Spirit's working of faith is the, exercise, the exceeding greatness of God's power. The same miraculous power that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul describes the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, it is that same power that raised up Christ from the dead that is put forth by the Holy Spirit in a sinner's heart to cause them to believe on Christ. Don't misunderstand the miracle that takes place at conversion. Now, as we've studied conversions in the Scripture, we'd say, well, yes, the Apostle Paul. Now, that was a miraculous conversion. Or the Philippian jailer. Or the thief on the cross. Or Lydia's heart being open. Or the Gentiles at Cornelius. The other ones that we've looked at in the study, our study of the book of Acts. But I would tell you, the five-year-old child who comes to saving faith... In Christ is just as miraculous as the Apostle Paul or a hundred-year-old person who hears the gospel and is saved because it can only be brought about by the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must illuminate the heart and the mind. The Holy Spirit must subdue a person's will and cause them to bow to Jesus Christ. Again, Thomas Watson writes in 1692, The will is like a garrison or a fortress which holds out against God. The Spirit with sweet violence conquers or rather charges it in making the sinner willing to have Christ upon any terms to be ruled by Him as well as saved by Him. Saving faith is called precious faith in 1 Peter 1 verse 1 because the saving faith is the chief of all graces. All the other graces, as we've read there in our statement of faith, are brought about by saving faith. As gold is the most precious of all metals, faith is the most precious of all the graces wrought by the Spirit. Clement of Alexandria calls the other graces the daughters of faith. Because faith must instigate them, if you will. When we get to heaven... Faith will be replaced by love and it will be a a magnetizing, unusual, adoring love that will conquer us and rule us throughout the endless ages when we see the one who gave himself for us. And view the wounds and, and see our Savior face to face who having not seen we have loved, but love will take over faith. For now it is faith. It is faith that saves us and keeps us. But while here we rest in faith, one day that faith will be replaced by love. It's not to say we do not have love now. But the predominant grace of the Spirit in our lives at this point is faith. Faith is the conquering grace, some have said. 1 John 5 verse 4 says, "...this is the victory that overcometh the world." Even our faith—it is a conquering grace. In fact, no one of the other graces become active unless faith is first applied. Faith sets hope to work. Where would there be? Where, what what foundation would hope have if faith did not begin the work? Faith sets love to work. In Galatians five verse six says, "Faith worketh, which worketh by love." Faith sets patience to work. Hebrews six verse twelve says. Be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then Romans 5 verse 1 tells us that we are justified by faith. That glorious clearing of blame that is wrought about when a sinner believes on Jesus Christ. Oh, think of it today. To have my sinful record replaced by the very record of Jesus Christ, that's what takes place in justification. So that when the Father looks at me, He looks at me through the sinless work in person and the record of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, him who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made what? The very righteousness of God in him. He uh, gives us that his own righteousness. And we were in such dire need of righteousness for we had none. Our righteousness was this. What is filthy rags, putrid, horrible rags. We think about what rags are used for. They're always used for emergencies and for things that, you know, take place and spills and you know, all those kind of things that, that take place. Uh, I, I had a. An accident recently, I've told you about the, the newfangled sink in my bathroom that people marvel, oh, they say, oh, what a neat sink that is. I wouldn't give you 50 cents for it. It has a teeny, it's one of those, it's about. it's shallow, it's supposed to, I guess it's designed to be you know, hip or modern or whatever, has a teeny tiny... not The old-fashioned sinks had a rim around them. This says you couldn't balance a cup of coffee on that sink if your life depended. In fact, I, I, I set it down just this morning, I'm sorry to say. I did clean it up, and it just went all over the place. Now, you need rags to wipe up a mess like that. This wasn't just a cup of coffee. It was one of those <laughs> magnum-sized <laughs> cups of coffee. I don't just play around with it on the morning all doctored up just like I like it. I mean, it had everything but the kitchen sink in it, you know. And there it went. And it's one of those things when it happens, you just watch it. It's in slow motion. It just goes all over the, the pale yellow walls, coffee drinking down it, you know, dripping down it. And, and you wonder, this, this place will never look what it's supposed to look like after, even after these rags. What do you do with rags like that? Well, uh, sometimes there's nothing to do but to do away with them. And the Bible uses that graphic illustration to to describe our righteousness. Think of it, how incongruous that is. Our righteousness is filth. Our righteousness before the, the perfect record of Jesus Christ is absolutely worthless and must be thrown away. It has to be replaced, doesn't it? We have to be given a righteousness. We have none of ourselves. And all of this is accessed by faith. Well, we might ask the question, how is it? That faith justifies. We glory in the fact that we have Christ's own record applied to us. But how is that? Faith lays hold of Christ's merits. It is the object of faith that causes justification in the heart. In other words, in the, into the work of Christ. God has appointed the means as well as the cure for man's sin. We're desperate sinners, aren't we? There's, we've read tonight the there's none righteous, no, not one. That, that includes every person born. What a horrible plight that is. We hear of stories of, of Ebola and these diseases that seem to be no cure and, and other strange diseases. But what if the, the disease of sin, every one of us are infected with a, a damning, dying sin that will take our lives and throughout all of eternity. There's none righteous. There's none whole. There's none well. There's none righteous, no not one. And so God appoints not only the means as well as the cure for man's sin. He has appointed this grace to be the justifying means, and he, he gives all the honor to Christ in free grace. Romans four verse twenty says, Strong in faith, giving glory to God. Saving faith makes us one with Christ. Ephesians three seventeen. The other graces make us like Christ. Faith makes us members of Christ. We are to nurture our faith. It is a very precious thing. Our faith is called precious. We'll see that in just a moment. And it's something that must be nurtured. It must be tended to. Almost as a tender plant or our beautiful garden. If you think of your faith in that way. I think some people look at saving faith as almost... We realize that it's not a right, but once we receive it, it's secure and steadfast, and that it is. But it's almost as if we think that faith will just do its own work, and, and, and while there, we cannot add anything to it, we are to perfect our faith. It is a precious, a precious commodity that God has given to us, but we're to see after it. We're to tend it. We're to use the means that God has given us to increase our faith, for example. We are to nurture faith and to build it. We're to exercise it. And that's why the Lord gives all kinds of sanctification projects that come across our our, our paths. People, situations, things, problems. All of these are not because God is cruel and likes to see us squirm, but He must perfect our faith. Our faith as a grain of mustard seed can move mountains, but... For it to take place, there must be a mountain to come up to see that 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 mountain can be moved. And so God orchestrates and always out of his his perfect glory and for our, our good and for his glory, does he bring about these things to perfect and increase our faith. As the disciples did, we should pray, Lord, increase our faith. We always are in need of more. It does not take great faith to be saved. It is the object of our faith that saves us. But we need more faith, don't we? Day by day. Oh, Lord, let me trust you for more. For more of your sanctification grace in my life. Prayer and attending upon God's Word will build our faith. In fact, faith cannot be built in any other way. Situations and and tribulation alone will not perfect our faith. Only as we, when those things happen... Take to the God's word in prayer will our faith be increased. In fact, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that without faith, as was quoted tonight, it is impossible to please God. Now think of that. The, the way to please God must be always centered around our faith in what He say has said, who He is. How would we know who He is without reading what He has said? It is impossible to please Him without faith. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is that he exists and he is a, a rewarder of them that diligently seek him we live in a, a world today that is hostile toward this one of our Sunday school teachers was remarking recently that a little little child came in as we try to reach these children came in and announced they did not believe in God when have you heard a little child give that kind of, of, of statement I don't believe in God and it was very uh, the person the child was very adamant about it very uh, insolent about it. Think of that. That was taught, wasn't it? That was some parent or friend or probably, horribly, some teacher uh, somewhere. Uh, or some the media, there's all kinds of ways it can, be, it can be brought to pass. But a child born and nurtured in the right way will know that there's a God in heaven. But for a little child to say... In fact, our Lord says you must be as little children, very believing and and receiving and and leaning on uh, the the Lord and and those around them. Without faith, it is impossible to believe. he He that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We should try our faith. This is another area where some of God's people back away almost superstitiously. But a faith that cannot be tried is a faith that cannot be trusted. How do you know that that faith will, will, will stand? Our faith must be tried. We should try our faith. How? By the standards of God's Word. There are tests in His Word. Where we are urged to examine ourselves, to put our profession of faith beside the Word of God. And what we consider a growth in grace, let it be measured by what God's Word says. Again, God's Word, the whole counsel of God's Word is the standard and it is the means of trying our faith. Not someone's opinion, not someone's idea, but the Word of God. Lord, how do I stand up in this area when we hear some declaration of the the Scriptures or some doctrine taught? how How do we view it? How do we go about that? We should shun no part of God's Word because all of it is for our diet. All of it is to produce... Uh, that the man of God be truly furnished. So there's no doctrine, there's no area that we should not be very interested about. And though we may not fully understand it and we may approach it in fear and trembling, oh Lord, show me these things. I want to know all there is, all that you want me to know. All of it is for our salvation and sanctification and edification. Well, the question then arises, how do we recognize saving faith? We can talk about it. We hear testimonies. But but what is it that would distinguish what the Scripture refers to as saving faith or justifying faith? Well, we'd have to say, however you'd approach that, that first of all, true saving faith highly values Jesus Christ. He is the center of our faith. While none of the Godhead, no one of the Godhead is inferior to the other, our Savior that came and took on a body and came, became one of us to show us the Father, we must highly value Jesus Christ. Does not God the Father value His Son? Hear the voice from heaven at His baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And again, it is transfiguration. Oh, God the Father highly values God the Son, and so should we. 1 Peter 2, verse 7 says, To you who believe... He is precious. Philippians 3 verse 8, I count all things, whatever you can come up with, all things but manure, but dung. What a statement. I consider everything in comparison to the pearl of great price, to the darling of heaven, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Savior, everything but manure in comparison to Jesus Christ. Do we truly prize Him? Is it not? Is there anything that we would not give up for him? I was hearing Dr. Peter Masters this morning preach, in his inimitable way, the rich young ruler who came to Christ and he would not let go of his riches. He he did not prize Christ to the point that he would willingly give up anything. Now we who have nothing can sit here and say, "Well, why would he do that?" I mean, he missed salvation uh, by not obeying. The Lord was trying to show him his covetous heart. This This young man thought he had kept all the commandments perfectly. He had a righteousness that could be attained and he'd checked everything off the list. But just in case, you know, is there anything that I might, any good thing that I might do to inherit eternal life? He who thought he had arrived and that he was good. And surely he's asking, have you ever had somebody ask you a question they don't want you to answer it? They come and say they want as act as they want their, your opinion, but the way they ask the question, you know they don't want to hear what you have to say. This rich young ruler didn't want to hear that he was unfit, that he wasn't perfect, that he'd missed the mark by a billion miles, and he, he went away sorrowful because he was not he did not prize Christ. He was not willing to do whatever. It is, and of course, you know without saying that we do not believe that you can work for salvation, but He was not willing to be brought to that place of absolute, uh, stripped of everything but Christ. I want you to know when you come to that hour, to that, that moment, where your soul is called upon to pass from this life to the next, and in that time, if the Lord and His will allows you to, to be at yourself and as you begin to be weaned away from this world, I'll tell you, when you get to that hour, all you have is Christ. There's no other support. The love of family and friends cannot boast to you in that hour. No success, no degrees behind your name, no attainments, nothing you can point to. Nothing in my hand I bring. Only to thy cross I cling. All we have is Christ. We must be convinced of that now so that when we come to that hour, we will willingly place our all in His hands. True faith is a purifying grace. 1 Timothy 3.9 speaks of the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. There's no such thing as a grace that does not purify or faith that does not purify. Faith in God's grace does not lift up in pride. There's nothing worse than a spiritual pride. And grace does not do that. This this true faith is a purifying grace. And like fire purifying gold burning out the dross, faith in the heart burns away the refuse of lesser things. Acts 15 verse 9 says, Having purified their hearts by faith. Again, Watson says, faith is a precious heavenly plant which will not grow in an impure soil. And I would tell you that true saving faith is an obedient faith. And here's where people will split hairs and part ways. But I would tell you on the authority of God's word, you should have no confidence in a faith that is not an obedient faith. There's no such thing as a disobedient faith. In the scriptures oh there are people who act disobediently and god corrected and brought them back to where they should be but faith must obey romans 16 verse 26 speaks of the obedience of faith faith causes us true saving faith causes us to surrender our will to gods the greatest thing on earth and the hardest thing to accomplish is to humble human pride and for us to surrender our will before God. That takes a work of grace and faith. Faith does what God commands. Hebrews 11, verse 8, By faith, Abraham obeyed. The Scripture tells us, and we're about to to study, when Abraham was called to offer up Isaac and that unbelievable test in type and foreshadowing of God the Father offering His only begotten Son. The Bible tells us when you compare Scripture with Scripture that Abraham was convinced that if God was to require him to take his son's life, that he was fully able to raise him from the dead. And no wonder, because Galatians 3 tells us that the gospel has been preached to Abraham. Seeing aforetime that the Scripture would justify the ungodly, the gospel was preached to Abraham, the Scripture tells us. And so he understood the resurrection And the Bible tells us in Hebrews that when Abraham offered Isaac in obedience, if God were to cause him to have to absolutely go through it, and there was no indication that there would be any way out, Abraham didn't go saying, well, you know, at the last minute, there'll be a ram in the thicket and this will all work out. That was not what was happening that day. Abraham was fully persuaded, though heavy-hearted and broken-hearted, that God had... Had called him and caused him to, to do this very deed. And after the, the long delay for Isaac's birth, and all the promises that God had made to Abraham hinged on Isaac. In fact, the gospel hinges on Isaac, does he not? Abraham said that God is able to raise him up. Faith is not idle, faith obeys, it grows, it acts. It not only believes God's words, but it, it seeks to obey God's word. True, obedient faith is a cheerful faith. And there's no wonder that the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. That God, we should enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise and be thankful for him and, 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 and praising him. That true faith is a cheerful thing and glad to sacrifice and to, to do whatever the Lord Ask us to do do you and i cheerfully obey as parents we prize when our children obey cheerfully we often correct attitudes and may be doing it but not not cheerfully and so we address that as well god loves a cheerful giver we said and there's other things that we could think about i think in acts chapter 2 verse 41 when they heard the preaching when peter laid the charge of the, the death of the Son of God on his hearers, that they were guilty for the death of Christ. And they cried out, what must we do to be saved? The Bible tells us in Acts 2 verse 41, that then they that gladly received his word. Did you hear how they received it? Oh, thank you. There is hope. We can be justified. We can be clear to this blame. You see, the gospel does that. It brings this relief and the Bible says they gladly received his word. In other words, that they believed Peter's preaching about Christ and repenting and believing on him. And the Bible says they gladly received they that gladly received his word were baptized. And so, the true faith is an obedient faith. We're we're willing to do whatever God the pattern that God has given us, and to identify with ourselves with Jesus Christ. Watson says, "Do you look upon God's command as your burden?" Or as a privilege, as an iron fetter about your legs or as a gold chain about your neck? True saving faith changes us. It assimilates the soul into the image of Christ. It makes us Christ-like. How about your profession of faith? The faith that you say you possess. Is it conforming you to the image of Christ? Saving faith is a transforming faith. We see it in the conversions in the Scriptures, do we not? Paul on the road to Damascus, uh, seeking people to, to, to take them to prison and to persecute them. And then immediately and gloriously the transformation, a transforming faith. We are being transformed. We are transformed immediately from, light, from darkness to light and from death to life. And that transformation takes place all throughout this pilgrimage journey. Until at last, as we see Him face to face, we will be like He, likened to Him. Looking on a bleeding Christ causes our hearts to bleed. Does it not? Looking on a holy Christ causes sanctity of heart. Looking on a humble Christ makes our souls humble. True faith grows. It is always increasing. Anything that's alive is growing and, and increasing. Romans 1.17 says, From faith to faith. I'd like just for a moment to address those who may be fearful tonight. As you hear these declarations from God's Word about those who may fear that you do not have faith. Or that you're not in the faith. And we, we have to distinguish between weakness of faith and no faith. A weak faith uh, is true. It may not be as strong as it should be, but it is a faith. A f- weak faith may receive a strong Christ, Watson says. A weak hand can tie the knot in marriage as well as a strong one. And a weak eye might have seen the brazen serpent that Moses raised up. The woman in the gospel did but touch Christ's garment and received virtue from him. It was a touch of faith. And then he says the promise is not made to strong faith, but to true. The promise says, not whosoever has a giant faith that can remove mountains, that can stop the mouths of lions shall be saved, but whoever believes his faith ever so small. Though Christ becomes sometimes chides a weak faith, yet that it may not be discouraged, he makes it a promise. A weak faith may be fruitful. Weakest things multiply the most. The vine is a weak plant, but it is fruitful. Weak Christians may have strong affections. How strong is the first love, which is after the first planting of faith? And weak faith is growing. Seeds spring up by degrees first the blade, and then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. Therefore, be not discouraged. God, who would, have, who would receive us, receive them that are weak in faith, will not refuse them. Aren't you glad that we have a Savior that says, come unto me, call unto me. All you that are laboring labor and are heavy laden, I will receive you. And that, that's the, the Christ that we have. True faith, though it may be weak, it should be strengthened. How is, has, how is a weak faith strengthened? By God's Word and by exercising our faith in the Word of God. Let us bow for prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your precious Word. And as we've studied this faith, we pray that each one of the sound of my voice voice would truly believe on Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we pray that You would show them the glories of the Savior. May that one reach out in faith and rest upon Christ. Tell Him your need of salvation, your need of Him. Lord, we pray that You would increase our faith. We long to be like You. We long to be strong in faith, believing and asking for things that only You can do. Oh, when we pray, we must come and... And and trust your promises and try them. Oh, Lord, grow us in our faith and help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.